Hello, this is Matt Marone, the worship pastor here at Glen Ellen Bible Church. You're listening to the Next Level Podcast. Today, we're going to answer listener questions from Sunday, April 24th, 2022. Hey everyone, I am John Vanderbilt. Hi, I'm Simone Halpin. And I'm Kelly Brady. Thanks for tuning in to the Next Level. Good morning. Good morning. Good. Matt, how you feeling? I mean, I'm on the mend. Yeah. Yeah. Hard week I probably of illness, feel huh? better. Yeah. I probably feel better than I sound. And you're going to, yeah. So you, you sound fine. Okay. That's good. Yeah. Like you put away a pack of cigarettes about an hour ago, but <laughs> you saw that. <laughs> <laughs> There's this. something going around and it's not COVID. I, yeah, that I tested exciting? negative. I, yeah. I yeah. wouldn't have been surprised if it was. Yeah, we're back to I, 2019 sicknesses. You know, like cold, run of the mill blues. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad it's, you're here. Glad yeah, the whole <laughs> the whole family went down, so it was uh, one of those like, yeah. you know, like of course, you know, we're parent. The parents don't get to recuperate. It's a funny. It's a funny time because there is all this going around, like what you had, mm-hmm. like we have that, but then like there are co- like COVID yeah, cases going up like sure. crazy, mm. um, and then. And then you have like seasonal allergies. So I feel like everyone's like looking at each other like, uh, why are you, you sneezing? Why are you coughing? What do you got? What do you got? <laughs> hey, you know what? Uh, there are some people at church yesterday wearing masks. And okay. I say, why are you wearing a mask? And they say, well, I have some symptoms. I don't know what they are. Yeah, and I really appreciate mm-hmm. that. Yeah, a little mm-hmm. bit of protection. So there's still some caution for the sake of others out there, yep. which is great. Yep. Should we jump in? Yeah, let's jump in. All right. Question number one. Do lots of churches have such a detailed way of talking about what they're trying to do? I'd never seen something like that from a church. So go ahead and can you let everybody know what we're talking about here? Yeah, so the sermon series is a little four-part sermon series. We're going to revisit, and I looked at my notes. It was 2012 the last time we went through our disciple-making target, which we describe as our philosophy of ministry. There's theology that drives ministry, and that theology uh, also fuels a philosophy, that is a way of doing things in order to accomplish the biblical goals. So uh, it's been a while since we've gone through this, and so I just, I put up on the screen yesterday the disciple-making target, and I would imagine the question askers reflecting on that, you know, wow, that's a pretty detailed philosophy of ministry. Do lots of churches have that? I'd be interested to hear from you guys. Would you say, Simone, you in particular, would you say you're familiar with philosophies of ministry as far as churches go? I, I am, yeah. Um, and this, this was um, the first time since I wasn't here in 2012 right. when you went over it. You went over it during membership. Yeah. Um, and so I, I'm a, I love talking about the why in things. I think that's just my wiring. And so when you said, we're going to talk about how we're doing, what's our why, something that I got like fired up, like, yes, let's hear it. So yeah, a little bit familiar and how other people embrace it, but I'm so glad you're going over it. It's so important. Would you say it's your wiring? Okay, sorry. (laughs) Nice. Yes. I live in the future. It's my Enneagram number. Sorry. What's your number? I'm a seven. Yeah. Always thinking future, visionary. Cool. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, back in 2004, when, we, when the Elder Board did the work on how are we making disciples and how do we define discipleship and what activities are going to contribute to our disciple-making work, we actually went through some of the other philosophies of ministry as, of some well-known churches nationally. We went through Willow Creek's 5Gs. Uh, they, they identified grace, growth, groups, gifts, and good stewardship as kind of their paradigm 
for for how they're growing people as followers of Christ. And we went through Saddleback's Baseball Diamond, um, which always struck me as interesting because that's a competitive metaphor. Mm. And I think we need to be really careful with competitive metaphors in the disciple-making work because if you're on second base, it'd be easy to look back at those who are on first base mm. and think, come on, you need to move it along. Anyway, but um, they're... they're, they're bases, 101, 201, 301, 401. They talk about it in that metaphor sometimes, but membership, maturity, ministry, and mission, and just they're trying to move people along. Know, grow, serve, share. They talk about it that way. And then Pantigle Bible um, in Fort Worth, Texas, I believe is where it's at. Um, Pantigle Bible is well known for its philosophy of ministry, but it also it has taken the, the time to identify core values and core virtues that they want to see their people grow in. And so um, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, Pantigo Bible had an exhaustive survey that they annually gave to their members to try and chart spiritual growth. Are our people progressing as followers of Jesus? And what they found was, interestingly, that the longer someone followed Jesus, the more attuned they were to their sinfulness. Hmm. And it's actually, for that reason, hard to chart whether or not they're growing. Because you ask somebody that's been following Jesus 60 years, how are you growing as a believer? And, and they're increasingly aware of their need for grace. Hmm. And so they answer their questions in a way that, that um, may or may not identify their own growth. So... Hmm. One of the things I love about our disciple-making paradigm is it identifies a need for restoration. And in most of these paradigms that churches are embracing have something about growth. But I really like our focus on restoration. It's, um, it's fairly unique in, in the paradigms that I've seen and been exposed to. Uh, John Vanderbilt will preach on that this week. And so... When we talk about restoration, we talk about um, our broken elements uh, being uh, strengthened, restored, healed, mended uh, through dependence on Jesus' power and a connection and fellowship. So, and of course, one of the things I love about our, our disciple-making paradigm is that it's ours. Uh, we didn't simply adopt another church's paradigm, but the, the, um, the, the elders <coughs> took 30 months 30 months to work through it. It was a long, painstaking process and, and really owned it and made it our own. So, I think one of the natural questions that comes from, from this flow of question is um, how often does this disciple-making model, how often does it come into play week in and week out for staff here? I, like, I was, so, like this question asker is like, yeah. hey, I'm hearing this. Whoa, I never really realized yeah. like this is some detailed stuff. Is this a rudder every day for staff it every single day? Be. It can be. So for example, um, it, can, it influences funding, what we're going to put our money towards. It influences hiring, uh, what we're asking staff to do. Uh, it influences programming, what we say yes to and no to and why we would say no to something. So for example... I'll pick on the Boy Scouts. When the Boy Scouts call and say, hey, we want to use your building, 
nothing against the Boy Scouts, but they're not involved in proclaiming, restoring, equipping, and sending. And so they, we may say no to them on that basis just because we, we have a finite amount of building space and we have other programs that we want to run. So um, our ministry partnerships, take for example with Naomi's House, Simone's organization, you know, it, they're doing the work that we want to do and they're doing work that we can't do. It's a specialized work in helping women uh, come out of um, trafficked experiences. And, and so we say yes to those types of partnerships because they are involved in proclaiming, restoring, equipping, and sending. John, yeah. how do you see? Yeah, I think um, in terms of how the staff interact with this, um, it's interesting because some staff, they interact with all four of them kind of regularly. Like I think of student ministries, they kind of have a, have a a different parts of these things going on where like worship ministries, yes, there's some of a little bit of everything perhaps going on because of you and your role. But the large part of what you're doing is working in that proclaiming right. quadrant. Um, same thing with, you know, um, Foster in his work of with missionary. I mean, he's, he lives in that sending quadrant. Mm-hmm. Um, so, each staff person interacts with it, I think, differently. But That's interesting. Yeah, and Grant, uh, he oversees our groups. You know, let's say 60% of his work is in the restoring area, mm-hmm. trying to get people into groups together. Yeah. But, we, you know, we've also got, like, we have a staff values, you know, statement that, you know, who we are as a staff. And then, and you, it's like, I find this stuff really interesting and fascinating but you can go crazy with this kind of stuff where yeah. you're like you're rewriting your vision statement and your mission statement and what's the difference between mission and vision and we need 45 <laughs> meetings to come up with you know and yeah. it, you can go you know crazy with it and I think we've done a good job of, of defining it having it's a long standing philosophy of ministry that has um, that allows it to work in 2004 as much as it can in 2024 um, so I, you know, and I, I started a group this spring and it ran for about 10 weeks, primarily focused on restoration of men. And, and so it, it continues to steer how we think about what needs to happen. Like where are our strengths as a church, where are, where are our weaknesses in the disciple making effort. And one of the reasons I launched it and I'll, I'll relaunch it in the fall, this program aimed at men, it's called restore as a matter of fact is because I think the evangelical church broadly needs to do uh, better and better in in restorative works, Mm -hmm. uh, setting people free from sinful entanglement and um, and strengthening, particularly in this case, my my group that I run is particularly strengthening husbands and fathers uh, to follow after Christ. So Mm. that's good. You said something so interesting about the more we become a disciple of Jesus, the more we're aware of our sin and, and we can identify that and we recognize our need for him. So if you were to do a, I, in my world, we call it you know the measurements of what's effective. I don't know what you call it inside the church world, but if you're looking to see if you're implementing this, if you're being quote unquote successful in making disciples, how are you measuring that? What are indicators that you feel like the church is effectively making disciples and or do you even look at that i mean how do you yeah absolutely yeah there are some measurements in fact john just ran our numbers so numbers say something they mm-hmm. don't say everything mm-hmm. they say something over the last five years and there's some nice numeric growth encouraging mm-hmm. growth 
in participation. It's a, it's, we don't want to simply measure who shows up on right. Sunday morning and sits in a room facing one direction. Mm -hmm. um, that can be a fairly passive experience. It doesn't have to be. Yesterday, I felt like people really sang. They really mm. joined in. And they, they preached to one another, which is great. It doesn't have to be a passive experience. But we like to measure uh, Sunday morning attendance, small group attendance, women's Bible study attendance, um, adult ed, um, and so we do look at buy-in as far as attendance, um, giving, you know, mm -hmm. we look at, at giving, we look at the number of folks going out. Now COVID uh, took a bite out of that, but I just, I think of the 135 students signed up for summer mission trips. Well, that's firmly a part of who we want to be, sending. We, we look at the, the growth in the care center and the restorative work of uh, that type of compassion effort. And we look at baptisms. And I've, for many years, I've said our church must do better mm. in adult baptisms. We need to see adult conversions. And uh, we need to figure out why we're not seeing more adult conversions and need to figure that out. So, yeah, we take measurements. Um, John, can you think of some others? No? No, you hit it. It's good. Yeah. It's been interesting to... Uh, online viewership is a new, new uh, number for us, um, and we're hearing from people outside the state of Illinois. Uh, COVID forced us to figure out how to stream our services, and and we're trying to figure out well how do we how do we weigh that? Is, is can you really make a disciple of someone who's sitting in Tennessee? That's really difficult, and and just trying to figure figure that stuff out. So yeah, that's helpful. All right, let's go to the next one. And this question is long, so stick with me here. But yeah, it's a really just, great I did, question. I just cut and pasted the question. I wasn't sure if, how to truncate it, edit it. So. Well, I read through it several times. One, I just wanted to see if I could get through it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a, it's a great question. Here we go. Uh, I was at the 9 a.m. service. What I heard is that there's joy apart from Christ, but there's more joy with Christ. What that means to me is that I should try Christ if I want an even better experience than what I'm having now. I also heard there's bad news in the gospel. Apart from Christ, I can do nothing. In other words, I will be ineffective. Much of the second half of the sermon suggested to me that the gospel can help me become more effective in the areas of my life where I currently feel ineffective. Some examples given were marriage, family, breakthroughs against sin. So, A... Is the bad news just that I will be ineffective or do nothing apart from Christ? Or is there something worse that I should know about? And B, is the good news just that I can be more effective and have more joy with Christ? Or is there something better that I should know about? All right. A long question deserves a long answer. <laughs> I think the answer was yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll do my best here. You guys jump in. There is definitely enjoyment in life outside Christ. The reformers called it common grace. That is, God's goodness is in fact shown towards all humanity in an undeserved, unmerited fashion. He shows his favor uh, toward all humanity. That's what Jesus meant when he notes that God sends rain on both the righteous and unrighteous. That's Matthew chapter 5, verse 45. Marriage, for example. I had someone in the foyer just this Sunday past Sunday asked me about 
attending a marriage, a wedding ceremony of two non-believers, and how should they approach that? I said, well, marriage is an institution given by God to all humanity and intended as a, a broad blessing to all, regardless of whether or not they're saved. So we can attend uh, and, and celebrate the, the commitment to, to faithful union uh, of two non-believers. The warning in the New Testament is against non-believers, uh, uh, against believers being wed to non-believers. But marriage is, is an institution established by God and given as a, it's part of the common grace, the common good. But the reformers also noted that there is a special grace. So there's common grace, there's special grace. Special grace is mediated only to those who are, quote unquote, in Christ through faith in Jesus. The point to be had is that God provides a special saving grace to those who trust in Jesus, and by which we can more fully enjoy all of life. Take, for example, marriage again. The full benefit of which is realized only by those who understand that it's designed to ultimately reflect the relationship between Christ and his church. Marriage, while it can be enjoyed by all, holds a special and transformative meaning for those who understand Ephesians 5 and the distinct image it's to represent in the world. How am I doing? Mm-hmm. Tracking. All right. Yeah. In this respect, I do believe that the gospel can help us more fully appreciate all that God is doing in the world. In other words, Jesus is the wisest way to live, following Jesus. It's wise. It, C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. There's evidence. I see it. He, in other words, I see the, the, the evidence for believing in Christ. Then he goes on to say, not, he says, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. In other words, I see that Christ is risen, which is a blessing, and by it, I most clearly and more fully see all other things in the world. In other words, the gospel has explanatory power, which is a great reason to believe. It is the wisest way to live. And so when, when I urge people to follow Jesus, I certainly urge them, if they want to know the most joy, then follow Jesus, mm -hmm. which doesn't mean life's going to be easy. Uh, but life isn't easy for anybody. I mean, everybody faces trouble. Those whose house is built on the, who, who built their house on the rock and those who built their house on the storms, uh, on the sand, both face storms. All right, so at the same time, the explanatory power of the gospel is not the primary reason to embrace the gospel. It only makes sense that the remedy of God for sin would have explanatory power in life. But the primary reason to receive the gospel is the explanatory power uh, that the gospel has when it, with regard to death. In other words, the bad news of the gospel is sin. And the good news is that through faith in Christ, we are forgiven. So the gospel provides explanatory power for for how life can be most fully enjoyed. Following after Jesus, it's the wisest way to live. But the gospel also, and more, most importantly, ex provides explanatory power for the cause and the remedy of, for death. Mm -hmm. The good news is so good because the bad news is so bad. An eternity separated from God because of our sin is only overcome through faith in Jesus. And, and so that's, that's the front burner issue in presenting the gospel. I kind of look at it as like, um, I think what you're getting at is there's multiple layers to the, to the experience. And in the time that you had on Sunday, 
how do you, you go through all those multiple layers? We're talking about making disciples and growing in life mm-hmm. and, and those sorts of things. But there's sort of this, if the, if the, good, if the good news, it's multi-layered. Mm-hmm. So it's, and it's not just one, one and then not the other things. It, and it's not just a hope for heaven. Right. It's a it's, hope right now. Mm-hmm. Yes. And someone I, famously asked, does Jesus have anything to offer someone who's not going to die tonight? Yeah. Right. Mm. And, and I, think, I think there's a lot of different things that we wrestle with and go through in life where the different parts of the good news become more hopeful for us, more encouraging for us. I think I think of a young person versus an old person. Mm. Hearing, you know, um, that you get to, you know, spend eternity in heaven when you're 14 years old, it's like, great. Right. And we need to be realistic about that. Right. Like, that is a part of the, the, the good news, but when you're 94 and, you're on, it, there's, and you say, you know, maybe tonight you're going to be in, in glory because of your faithfulness, because of, you know, yes, the, the getting through the difficulties of life part of the gospel and having joy in the midst of sorrow and all those sorts of things maybe isn't as effective but, or, or as meaningful, I should mm-hmm. say, at that at that moment. Yeah, so. I think I would say to a 14-year-old, the good news is more than simply we are saved from sin, little Johnny. Mm-hmm. It's not simply that we're saved from sin. It's actually that we're saved to a life mm-hmm. of purpose. That's why I tell Johnny. Mm-hmm. You know, we're saved from sin and we're saved to mission, mm-hmm. to vision. We have, we have reason for being here mm-hmm. and, and live on in mission. There are, in other words, there are eternal and temporal blessings to following mm-hmm. Christ. It seems to me that the question is saying, is, is, or is there something worse that I should know about? Yeah, hell is worse. <laughs> yeah. Like, if you wanted to know about it, like, <laughs> that, yeah. that's, that's the worst thing. Yeah. Sin that, you know, we talked about it on Good Friday. We talk about it often at GBC. But sin, yes. yeah. s- sin is insanity. Sin causes death. Sin causes destruction. Sin separates you from God. And the consequence of that is eternity in hell. And yeah, the good news is certainly, but that's, the good news is that you don't have to experience that. You can have eternity with your creator in heaven, but man, there's so much more to the evangelistic message than that and that alone. And I understand where some would, would rest on that alone. There's, mm-hmm. That's kind of the historical evangelism. Do you know where you're going to be tonight? Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think we've largely found that very ineffective in growing disciples and building a lasting church. Mm-hmm. Is and that all you're offering is, is, free, is freedom from hell. If all you're offering is freedom from hell, yeah. you mm-hmm. are not going to build disciples who grow in their sanctification, mm-hmm. become uh, effective members of the church, lead the church into the future, are relevant in their neighborhood because of how they live and what they're doing. So... Again. You know why? You know why it's ineffective? Because it's not the full gospel. Mm-hmm. Correct. The That's full right. gospel is take my yoke upon me and learn from me, mm-hmm. for I'm gentle and humble of mm-hmm. heart. And I can see where there's a danger in offering, in not talking about sin in heaven, and only talking about the fact that you will have, you know, in a an enjoyable mm-hmm. or more effective life. Mm-hmm. And you identified that. Hey, we could, yeah. I could stand here and talk about seven habits <laughs> to make you effective or right. five mm-hmm. lessons to yep. make you more important, you know, more... Um, Self-help. Yeah. Influential. Mm-hmm. Right. Are well, you guys familiar with the gospel-centered life curriculum? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I had to read that for my class I just took. <clears throat> and um, What program I, are you in, Simone? Oh, <laughs> just this little program over at Wheaton College. 
It's really great. What's it called? (laughs) I'm a kinesiology major. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm getting my doctor of ministry. Yes, yes, you can. That's fun. Call me soon to be doctor, like my family does. No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) Soon to be. I know my son really gets a kick out of it, like a wannabe. Anyway, yes. So the Gospels in Our Life curriculum, I think it's well known. Um, But they've got this really great analogy, and John, you were saying something, and then I was like, oh, that's what he's talking about in this curriculum. Where we we teach the the salvation behind the statement of um, you know if sin separates us from God, and I think you went on to say for eternity. Yeah. And what I learned from this curriculum, um, and I I loved it so much. Now I'm reading the gospel centered parent, so I'm in the mm-hmm. middle of that. I'm supposed to be reading it with a group, and I'm reading it by myself, so I don't know what that means. They also have a gospel centered <laughs> teen, so I'm going to get a couple of those <laughs> anyway. Um, he talks, or the curriculum talks about how we present the gospel traditionally where we're on one side of the canyon and God's on the other side of the yeah. canyon. The cross bridges us to God. So through, through Christ, we cross over the canyon uh, because of the cross. Um, but then traditionally it's taught that once you're on the side of God, you're over the canyon through Christ, you're, you're done crossing the bridge. Right. And the way they lay it out in this curriculum is that we're missing the point that, and it was a little bit what you said earlier, Kelly, where the more we realize our sin, the more we realize, uh, the longer we walk with Jesus, the more we realize our sin, and the more we realize we need him. And it's, if you switch the analogy around, it's the cross is small when we first are introduced to Jesus, and the more we walk with him, it's like a um, funnel where the cross gets bigger the longer mm-hmm. we walk with him. So we're not abandoning the cross when we're on the other side of the canyon. Mm-hmm. Instead, it's we are walking with Jesus. The, the more we walk with him, the bigger the cross gets, and we see our need for him. So when you were talking, John, about sin separates us from God etern- eternally, that is true, right? But even in day in and day out life, sin separates us from God. Oh, 100%. Right? And, yes. and so that, and you, you all know, I'm you know, struggling to raise these four kids of mine and, or Anthony and I, it's not, I'm not doing it alone. We're both struggling. Um, <laughs> and even this week and having a conversation with one of them saying, you know, Jesus will meet you in your sin. And this child, said child, was, well, I've already accepted Jesus. And I thought, oh, this is the perfect, this is, this is it. You need the gospel every single day. It's not right. just a one-time Right. salvation, you know, um, experience. It's a daily dying to yourself, recognizing that you, your sin separates you from God every single day. Mm-hmm. And so walking in that truth, if I, I'm, am I, am I, am I landing this plane? Are you? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're making a lot of sense. I mean, I don't it's, know. It's, it's important to talk about the process of salvation of justification, mm-hmm. sorry, right. justification, yeah. sanctification, sanctification, and glorification. Right. Love it. Like, they aren't right. just terms that yeah. we need to like nerdy learn. <laughs> they actually Matter. mean something. Yeah. <laughs> so your child, when you say, yes, you're fully justified mm-hmm. and you have all the assurance of salvation, but guess what? Sanctification is really it's, hard. Yeah, it's and lifelong. And, mm-hmm. and you're going to conf- be confronted with your sin. And to your point, Kelly, you're going to, as you grow in sanctification, you're going to know more, and you're going to be more and more grateful for your justification. Mm-hmm. And you're going to realize more and more that you actually, that that mm-hmm. justification, what it actually means. Mm-hmm. Like when, when I look out on Good Friday, when I preached on Good Friday, sorry to bring it back to that, but I'm preaching on Good Friday. It's all about sin. It's all about this. And I'm looking out and I see mature believers, grown men specifically, crying mm. because they're coming more and more 
they're being filled more and more with the realization of what sin, the consequences Love of it. sin, yeah. mm-hmm. and and the mm-hmm. beauty, and the what a what a gift it was, what Christ did for us, mm-hmm. and and that to your point, like you, you, there is a sanctification process. We we often jump from justification to glorification, mm-hmm. like you said. Mm-hmm. We cross, we just walk across the chasm on the cross, and we're all good and mm-hmm. justification. We've done justified, and now it's like. What, you know, what else? Yeah. What else? You know, I'm good. I don't know if that's what the question asker meant in that first line of there's joy apart from Christ, but there's more joy with Christ. And the answer to that is yes. That, mm-hmm. you know, 100% yes. Like uh, recognizing that day in and day out, I feel like I would, is where abundant life is. I would maybe even add to that and say, um, I don't know if I would do, think of it for me, think about it in terms of more joy. I would question like if you really have experienced true joy mm. without Christ, right? Like, uh, cause for me, uh, when I think about pre-Christ days and then post-Christ days, uh, peace is a huge component in joy for me. And I was just at, there was just a lot of unrest before I knew Christ. And so, uh, to have more joy, like, well, yeah, there's more joy, but I think also you could frame it like, you know, you, it, your experience, you would experience true joy with Christ mm-hmm. because there would be this rest and peace element in it. I, I don't know where you find peace outside of Christ, real peace. Well, we, yeah, especially uh, when well, we talk I, I, about other religious experiences. Well, remember, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. These are all fruits of the spirit. And the defining element of the fruit of the spirit is it's the spirit's fruit. It's not Kelly's fruit. So to the extent anybody experiences joy, love, peace, patience, it's the spirit that's doing it. I just don't think we take Christ's words uh, to heart. There's a series of books coming out basically that says, what if Jesus was serious about, and then prayer and giving and blah, 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 blah. But what if he was serious about, apart from me, you can do nothing. In other words, this notion the reformers had of common grace I think there is peace for non-believers, but I don't think they realize that any peace they experience is a benefit of the Spirit of God at work in the world. It's a part of common grace. It comes from the Father, their Creator, whether or not they recognize Him or not. I think they don't experience the peace that comes when we're in Christ. That's that's, a that's what I'm talking about. Right? Uh, level, intensity, right. security yes. provided. But, I, I, I mean, you know, there are whole books written on common grace and what's it mean that, that uh, the Father is, is good and, and, and showers his favor on both the righteous and unrighteous. But, um, yeah, anything that's good in the world is from our Father. Every yeah. good gift comes down from the Father above. It just seems to fall short to say, like, so with Christ, I just have more joy is that. Is that the benefit? Like, I have this joy, but you're saying I need Christ, so I get Christ, and now I have more joy, so I should have Christ, so I can have more joy. And it's like, well, yeah, but it feels well, okay. short. So the, the peace or the joy or the love that we know, that, that we know outside of Christ is peace and love and joy in things, circumstances, mm-hmm. relationships, um, to know joy in Christ is what I'm trying, the distinction I'm trying to draw. It's, a, it's an eternal uh, reality that has temporal impact because the sin 
that separated me from my father is now removed and I can have uh, a peace and know a love that I could not formally know. Yeah. Yeah, right. The peace that comes when you know your sin is... is Care for. for. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like. Yeah. All right, uh, let's go to the next one. It is hard for me to admit, but it feels awkward to talk about the cross of Christ with my elementary age kids. Am I a bad parent for not wanting to talk about it? I'm not sure what to do. Yeah, so I had quoted Paul's um, bold statement that he preaches Christ. We preach Christ crucified. And I always encourage parents to, to be talking about sin in the home. Don't simply talk about mistakes. You know, we have a tendency as parents to say, oh, that was a mistake. We need to move on. We need to get over it. And, you know, spilling milk at the dinner table is a mistake. But lying is more than a mistake. It's unwise, but it's also sinful. It was a mistake to lie, but, but it was more than a mistake to lie. <laughs> it was unwise to lie, but it was actually a sin. Lying is a sin, stealing is a sin. So we need to use sin language uh, with our, in, our, in our communities of faith, in our homes, in our small groups. Um, and I think you're not alone, the parent that submits this question. I think you're not alone. Our flesh doesn't like talking at all, and particularly to our kids, there can be kind of an internal resistance to, talk, uh, resistance to talking to our kids uh, about the reality of how we're dead in our sinfulness. That's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Sin brings death. We like to talk to our kids about things that are empowering and uplifting. We like to tell our kids that if they work hard, they can overcome any problem. That's simply not the case with regard to sin. And so we need, we must tell them about the problem that's insurmountable for them. Uh, but one in which, for which God has overcome. He's done the work that we couldn't do. I wouldn't want to talk about the cross of Christ either, except that it's a remedy for what ails humanity. The cross is the cure. The cross isn't the disease. The disease is sin and the cross fixes that that disease. So when we talk about the cross, we're talking about the cure. You may be having trouble talking about this because you're placing the emphasis, the emphasis on the wrong part of the message. So we need to talk about sin, but let's make sure that we're stressing that in the cross of Christ, we see the love of God for us. I remember how hard it was. Um, it's a, there's a barrier culturally to talking about sin in our homes. And we need to get over that as, as quickly mm -hmm. as possible. Mm -hmm. And do you guys experience this at all? Or I mean, I've got a four-year-old, an eight-year-old, and a 10-year-old. And our four-year-old just laid out the gospel and the cross the other day. It was really <laughs> awesome. Um, and, and not because we're some theological well, just you guys geniuses. work at it hard. You do work at uh, it. We, we talk about the cross a lot. Yeah. Like, we, we, we have talked a lot mm -hmm. about the cross, and, and I don't know that we've really, I mean, not when they're like two, you know, but four, we're, we're kind of talking about it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it comes up here. It comes up in um, kids' ministry. It comes up yeah. in, in service. It comes up in, you know. You know I so, would say to parents, you'll be surprised at how quickly kids embrace this. It's yeah. adults that really yeah. don't like, that throw up the biggest resistance to sin, I mean, to this, the message of sin and the necessity of the cross. They're asking, I'm not sure what to do about it. Start talking about it. Yeah, Just mm -hmm. jump in, man. Like, don't, uh, yeah, don't be afraid of it and mm -hmm. just pray about it and start talking about it. I, I, I think I, your kids will surprise you. I was at lunch uh, with um, 
my college-age daughter on Sunday after church and, and some of her friends. And Rachel brought up to me, hey, Dad, share with my friends uh, that thing you say about, <laughs> about decisions. I said, and I Here said, we go. And I said, okay. Oh, Rachel, I just happen to have a little <laughs> chart right here. Who, who me? 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 Would you like me to text it to all? And she, she brought it up because Why? they're it's in, permissible. Right. <laughs> she brought it up because they're in a theology class. Yeah, anyway, so good, I man. talk about it's all, a good shtick. I talk about it. I talk about all decisions fall into uh, at least four categories. A decision is either a wise decision, a permissible decision, an unwise decision, or sinful. And the reason this is valuable is because we want to say that things are either sinful or, or not sinful, and we only have two categories. So, uh, but life isn't that that easy. There's, there's some really difficult decisions out there, and sometimes things are unwise, but they're not sinful. In other words, we need to be careful what we define as sin, because Christ shed his blood for sin. He did not shed his blood for mistakes. And when we fail to, to identify categories that, that talk about mistakes, something that was unwise, but you did it, versus categories of sin and need the shed blood of Christ to cover it, then we fail to draw distinctions that are of eternal significance. If I eat one Oreo cookie, that actually, I could argue that's wise. It's soul food. If I eat 10 Oreo cookies, well, that's permissible, but man, that's getting close to unwise. If I eat a bag of Oreo cookies in one sitting as a diabetic, that's verging on not only unwise, it's sinful. That could take my life. Mm-hmm. Well, not even me. if you weren't a diabetic. I was going to say, we've got gluttony going on here, right? So, <laughs> I, was like, I've no, I didn't know that you about you. You qualified it with the diabetic <laughs> thing <laughs> just because you wanted to give yourself a little bit of a doubt. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was thinking sin a tin Oreo cookies. <laughs> that's just me. Like, that feels very judgmental for those of us who like Oreos. Just, okay. just kidding. You get my point. Yes. So we need to draw distinctions between what are mistakes. Is it a sin for everyone to have 10 Oreos? Mm-hmm. Or sin. I, he would just, yeah. So, and, and those are, and let's be honest, we giggle. But that's where community comes in. Oh, that's where my wife looks at me and yeah. says, Are you nuts? You're going to have another Oreo cookie? I mean, and, and, and that's valuable for me. I'm picturing the did you share the Oreo analogy with Rachel and her friends? Yes, I did. <laughs> and then I'll be honest with you, then we segue to, to smoking dope mm. and doing cocaine. Mm. <laughs> Hard left. Watch right. out, girls. So, <laughs> it, 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 you know, smoking dope is is a is a front burner matter for her generation. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was legalized when they were teenagers. Mm-hmm. So, and so, and we draw we draw a distinction between you know if you've got glaucoma, apparently it may be wise for you to smoke medical marijuana. And they have edibles now, so I don't know how all that works, but <laughs> Matt can educate us later. So. <laughs> <laughs> but my, my anyway, you get yes, the point. Yes, what, what, yes. What? It's easier for me to because I, I love categories of sin. I wonder if this parent's more confused. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I, I love this paradigm. Like I think about it a lot actually in, in my parenting and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easier for me to think about like 
uh, unwise, sinful. It's easy for me to think about in terms of not eating, but uh, like watching, mm-hmm. staying up late. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, wa- hey, we're gonna start Lifestyle, this show. All types of, yeah. We're gonna watch Ted Lasso tonight, and we know if we started at ten a.m., we're not stopping till one oh, or what? Wow. Because yeah. we just yeah. know once mm-hmm. we get into it, it yeah. just goes and goes and mm-hmm. goes. And so, like, well, that's not sinful, but it very well may be unwise, <laughs> mm-hmm. and right. maybe tinging on sin if I if I have. Uh, if you don't put service a... the, on Sunday, if this is a, is this a Saturday night, yeah. and I have right. and I have preached to the ministry about hey, guard your Saturday nights, guys. Mm-hmm. Pay, you know, and I'm mm-hmm. up until one or two. Yeah. Well, then that would be sinful. Like you even know. if you can't put in a full day's work, if you if you don't put in the work that you're getting paid for, I think there's an integrity issue there. I, so you bring up a really good. That's a real life issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Binging late mm-hmm. night, and then you show up at work dreary eyed, and you don't put in full. I'll never forget in college, I had a guy hire me. And at the end of the workday, when he paid me, he goes, you are worthless today. Mm. Well, I had stayed up all night the night before I was 18. And so. Yeah. I want to make sure this parent knows, too, that there's so many good resources out there for <laughs> elementary age kids Absolutely. as you're looking to have conversations and dialogue. Um, the Jesus Storybook Bible is one of my mm. favorites. But. Ask Amy Coyle. She would know so many great resources for a parent who's got elementary age kids looking to preach Christ and the cross. All right, let's go to the last one. The idea of discipleship disrupting our lives is new to me. Can you flesh that out some more? Specifically, I'm wondering how disruptive is following Jesus supposed to be? Yeah, I, you know, John a minute ago talking about a 14-year-old versus like a 40-year-old. Admittedly, it's going to be more disruptive for some than others because some are more mired in sin than others. We're all sinners in need of forgiveness, but someone who's born again, born again at the age of five, uh, the decision to follow Christ is less disruptive initially than if you're 55 and you're a career criminal and you're born again. I mean, that's going to be disruptive. I follow on Instagram this Instagram feed about the gospel behind bars, and mm-hmm. all it does is post pictures of ministry in the prisons of America. M- men coming to Christ, being baptized, singing God's praise behind bars. It's a, it's a stunning feed. And, and, you know, if you come to Christ as a career criminal, we're talking disruption. It's, it's, yeah. you, it's going to be disruptive. But even for the five-year-old, as the five-year-old progresses in life and becomes 15, you know, 15-year-olds in today's culture, they have significant decisions that are disruptive, culturally speaking. They're going to go against the grain if they're following Jesus. Uh, and so there'll be disruption. But it, we'll net it out like this. I'll make no mistake, the language Jesus uses to describe the invitation to him is ra- radical language. It's seek first the kingdom of God. It's carry your cross. These are radical, disruptive metaphors. Take my yoke, bear my burden. And so there is disruption um, in following Jesus. Good stuff. Yeah, clear cut. Cool. All right. That's all the questions we have for you today. If you have any further questions, comments, or concerns, don't hesitate. Text Next Level Podcast 630-474-6164. Our podcast is dedicated to answering listener questions on two levels, answering specific questions about last Sunday's sermon, and also general questions regarding broader topics within the Christian faith. We love God and believe that Scripture is a primary means for our getting to know Him. And our hope is that this podcast extends the learning opportunity for all who want to know God better, strengthening not only your faith, but my faith and our faith together. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in to The Next Level.
prophecy. 